Hey men, my name is Mace, and I serve as the Men's Discipleship Coordinator here at FaithBridge. FaithBridge Men exists to create a movement among men in our church and our community where men can experience the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, develop authentic community with other men, and live a life of eternal significance. Our theme for the entire spring season is fight the good fight. Life is tough. It's a battle. Temptation and trial are around every corner. But on our deathbed, we want to be able to look our loved ones in the eye and say, like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. We want to be men who fight the good fight, men who believe the true gospel and are being transformed by the gospel. This episode comes from session four of our men's study on the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. In this section of the letter, the Apostle Paul points out more characteristics of the false teachers and exhorts Timothy on how to address the problem. Along the way, we will be challenged to be men who fight for an exemplary life by stewarding God's gifts, disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, and living as a godly example to those around us. So one of my favorite shows of all time is the miniseries Band of Brothers, and one of the most Epic scenes in, in the entire series is when Easy Company is tasked with taking the town of Foy. But the problem is that at the time, their commanding officer, Lieutenant Dyke, is uh, reclusive and just totally incompetent. So they, they find themselves cut off from each other and, and pinned down by a sniper. And so Captain Winters, the, the previous CO of Easy Company, calls Lieutenant Spears over and commands him to go take over for Lieutenant Dyke. And so Lieutenant Spears just goes charging into battle, relieves Lieutenant Dyke, and starts commanding uh, the the troops, getting the, the mission moving in a positive direction. But in order to communicate this plan, they had to communicate the plan to another company, which was on the other side of the town, which meant they were on the other side of the German troops. Uh, but their comms were down. And so they had to find a way to, to get this plan to the other company. So Lieutenant Spears, again, goes charging through the town, in other words, through the German troops to communicate the plan. And if that wasn't amazing enough, after he communicates the plan with the other company, he charge, charges back through the town again, through the German troops again, to reunite with Easy Company. And the German troops and Easy Company were just in awe of this man. And Easy Company knew that in Lieutenant Spears, they had a true leader, that Lieutenant Dyke was reclusive. Lieutenant Spears went charging in and was with the men in the fight. Lieutenant Dyke was completely overwhelmed when the going got tough. Lieutenant Spears went charging in, and they knew that in Lieutenant Spears, they had a leader who was not asking them to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. That in Lieutenant Spears, they had a good leader, a leader who led by example. All of us in this room are leaders. We're leaders in our our marriages, we're leaders in our families, we're leaders in our workplaces, in our communities. So the question is not, If you are a leader, the the question is, what type of leader are you? Are you a good leader? In tonight's lesson, as we get into 1 Timothy chapter 4, 
Paul has written to Timothy and he's described what it looks like to fight the good fight. He, and he's, he's given exhortations that he wants all men in all churches to, to do to fight the good fight. He's given instructions and qualifications for the church leadership, the overseers and the deacons. And now he's gonna give uh, his charge to Timothy, the, the primary leader of the church in Ephesus. And what he is going to do is he's going to tell Timothy that if you want to fight the good fight, if you want to be a good leader of the church in Ephesus, you need to fight to live an exemplary life. And so let's dig in to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul is again going to turn back to these uh, false teachers and describe their erroneous ways um, in a little bit more detail. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And so Paul is uh, expounding to Timothy what the problem is with these false teachers. And, and here he highlights one particular fault of these teachers, and it's that they, they don't receive God's gifts rightly, that they, they wrongly receive God's gifts. And so, in other words, the converse of that, are, are one of our, our points for tonight is that if we want to be men who fight the good fight, we need to be men who rightly receive God's gifts. And so, there's two primary wrong ways to receive God's gifts. One is the example of the false teachers here. The first wrong way to receive God's gifts is what we could call ungodly abstinence, that Ungodly abstinence is what these pharisaical, legalistic, Jewish false teachers were practicing. These wannabe teachers of the law, Paul called them in, in chapter one. And notice how Paul describes these false teachers in verse one. He says that they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. And that should sound familiar that, that just... A couple chapters earlier in 1 Timothy 2, we, we read about humans who had fallen prey to deceitful spirits and had fallen into disobedience and transgression when uh, Paul talked about the fall. So Paul, Paul is referring to the fall in Genesis 3 when the serpent invaded the, the garden and got the man and the woman to uh, believe lies and to misuse God's gifts. But remember that Genesis 3 is not all doom and gloom, that in the midst of the darkness, a ray of light, a ray of hope shines, that, that God comes down and, and talks to the serpent. He confronts him and he says, because you have done this, I'm gonna put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, your seed, and her seed. 
And so from the beginning of this story, we're seeing two teams being formed that all throughout the biblical story, we're gonna see people who are deceived by the serpent and they're following the ways of deception, the ways of the serpent. And then we're gonna see people who follow and are looking forward and placing their faith in the seed of the woman, the son who would come to crush the head of the serpent. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to his coming and we New Testament believers look to the one who has come and is coming again. There's two teams, only two teams. There's team Satan and team Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that these wannabe teachers of the law who, who claim to speak for God are actually on team Satan. And the way that we know this is because they wrongly receive God's gifts. They practice ungodly abstinence, that they forbid marriage and abstain from foods. In other words, these false teachers take what God calls good and they call it evil. That rather than doing what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, they want to be the ones that decide what is good and right. And they take what God has called good God's gracious gifts of food and marriage and sexual intimacy, and they call it even, evil, excuse me. So uh, perhaps one of the more common contemporary examples of this might be the, the purity cultures found in youth groups in the 90s and early 2000s, that out of a, a good desire to encourage uh, young men and women to um, keep themselves sexually pure, the message was given, at least implicitly, sometimes explicitly, that sex, period, is, is associated with dirtiness and shame and, and guilt. And so I, I have friends, even to this day, married friends who struggle uh, enjoying sexual intimacy in their marriage because they cannot divorce sex of any kind, even sex within God's gracious and good and loving and perfect boundaries meant to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. They still can't divorce sexual intimacy from these connotations of dirtiness and shame and guilt. And so one wrong way of receiving God's gifts is to take what God calls good and call it evil, to practice ungodly abstinence. But while not explicitly in this text, I think perhaps the far more predominant temptation in our day is the second wrong way to receive God's gifts. And that's ungodly extravagance. So on the one hand, we can wrongly receive God's gift by practicing ungodly abstinence. And on the other, we can practice the wrong way of receiving God's gifts by practicing ungodly extravagance. So if the, the fatal flaw of ungodly abstinence is taking what God has called good and calling it evil, the fatal flaw of ungodly extravagance is taking what God calls evil and calling it good. It's an anything goes uh, approach. And so uh, if uh, perhaps an example of ungodly abstinence in our day is, is the purity culture, uh, it, perhaps the perfect example of ungodly extravagance is the sexual revolution, right? The sexual revolution says that as long as sexual acts are enjoyed between consenting adults, it's all good. Do what feels good. Do, you do you. Uh, that uh, that 
and if if you if you uh, break these these bonds and these shackles and and these these limitations that this culture over here has placed on on sexual image, intimacy, you will get to enjoy more and better sex. But the problem is, after decades of these lies embedding themselves in our culture, the research is actually showing the opposite. That that sociologists are, are telling us that the sexual revolution has utterly failed to deliver on its promises, that rather than enjoying more and better sex, we, on the whole, are having less sex and enjoying it less. And perhaps the most tragic uh, component of this is that the, the people who are hurt the most by these lies are children. So we have ungodly abstinence taking what God calls good and calling it evil. And we have ungodly extravagance taking what God calls evil and calling it good. Taking God's gifts, but ripping them out of God's good and gracious and loving and kind and perfect and wise boundaries. Now here's, here's the thing. Most of us are prone to one extreme or the other. So one question I want you to wrestle with tonight uh, especially as we get into our table discussion in a little bit, is, is which extreme are you prone to? Are you prone more to ungodly abstinence, taking what God has called good and calling it evil? Or are you more prone to ungodly extravagance, taking what God has called evil and calling it good? Or taking God's gifts and ripping them out of his God-given, graciously given boundaries? That God's gifts Things like food and marriage and sex are meant to be enjoyed. They're meant to be received with gratitude, but they're, they're meant to be enjoyed within the boundaries revealed to us in the word of God, as verse five says. So in contrast to these, these false teachers that are practicing this, this uh, ungodly abstinence, what is, is Timothy to do? That's, that's what Paul gets into starting in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers." And so here Paul tells Timothy that if you want to fight the good fight, if you want to be a good leader, you need to fight to discipline yourself for godliness. And then he contrasts godly discipline with bodily discipline. Bodily discipline is what the false teachers were practicing. That it, is, it was an, an external only spirituality. That if you just do the right things and you clean yourself up on the outside, that's how you get into God's good graces. And, and Paul contrasts this bodily discipline. He says it's, it's of some value. It's, it's probably good to, to practice self-control and these sorts of things. It's not totally of no value, but it's not of eternal value. 
that the only discipline that is of eternal value is godly discipline. Godly discipline is from the inside out. Remember what we've said from day one, fighting the good fight can be boiled down into two related components, believing the true gospel and being transformed by the gospel. That we are not transformed as we, we try to clean up the outside. No, our outside is cleaned up as we are transformed on the inside and it works its way out into our lives. I love the way Tim Keller says it. He says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. That we never graduate from the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We preach that to ourselves every day. And as we do, and as we grow more amazed of, of this God who sent his son to be our savior, is by then that we are, are transformed. This passage here in 1 Timothy 4 is, is where we get the language of spiritual disciplines from. And uh, my favorite resource on the, the spiritual disciplines is a book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. And there's a couple things that I, I really love about his approach to the spiritual disciplines. First, I, I love his, his, the way he frames it, habits of grace. So there, there are habits that we want to, to put into our lives so we can grow in godly, so we can be transformed. But let's be clear, these habits are not about checking a box. They're not about earning a gold star. They're not about practicing bodily discipline. These habits are habits of grace. These are, are habits that we pursue in response to and in pursuit of God's grace. And then the other thing that I love about uh, this book, Habits of Grace, is that it takes all the various spiritual disciplines that we might hear talked about from time to time, and it, and it helpfully puts them into three main categories. Engaging with scripture, praying, and life in the body of Christ, the, the church. And so we could uh, say, we could summarize this all, that if you wanna pursue godly discipline, you need to do three primary things. You need to read, you need to pray, and you need to gather. So first, we need to read. If we wanna practice godly discipline, if we wanna be transformed by the gospel, we need to read. We need to get into scripture on a daily basis. And as I've, I've tried to throughout this study, uh, I wanna commend some low-hanging fruit to you, just as I did last week. Um, that's one of the reasons why daily readings are a part of this study, that yes, I, I hope that you, you find encouragement and, and, and insight from our Tuesday night gatherings through the teaching and the discussion around the table, but what are you doing the other six days of the week? That I want you getting into this word every single day, reading it, meditating on it, pondering it, asking questions of it. So make sure you're doing the daily readings as part of the study. But the study is almost halfway over now. What are you gonna do after the study? So if, if you're, you're newer to the Bible or, or daily Bible reading is not yet a habit that you've cultivated, I. You can't go wrong with starting with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament that, that talk about the life of Jesus, that give these eyewitness accounts of the God who became man and gave his life for us and rose again on the third day. Or maybe you're a more seasoned Bible reader and, and, and you're looking for a challenge. 
you need to be on a reading plan that takes you through every page of scripture in some sort of systematic way. There's a ton of them out there. Google them, find one that fits your schedule, your personality. Um, But the important thing is this. It's not about getting through the Bible in a year. It's about over time letting every word of scripture uh, pass before your eyes, get into your mind, and transform your heart that we need to be regularly engaging with scripture, that if we wanna be men who fight the good fight, if we wanna be men of godly discipline, we need to be reading scripture every day. And the second thing we need to be doing is praying. So read and pray. If reading scripture is how we hear from God, prayer is how we talk to God. And so again, I think some low hanging fruit here is that as you go about reading scripture, making reading scripture a daily part of your life, turn your reading into praying. Take what you read and ask yourself, what about what I read reveals why God is worthy to be praised or stirs my heart with gratitude to God for what he's given me, especially what he's given me in Christ. As I, as I lay God's word before me and it acts as a mirror, what sin is exposed in my heart and in my life that I need to confess to him? And as I read the pages of scripture, what am I compelled to ask God for on behalf of myself and on behalf of others? And I think the other low-hanging fruit when it comes to prayer is what I've tried to encourage you from day one in this study is be praying with and for the men around your table. Be checking in on them, asking them how you can be praying for them. And if you're like me, don't just say, hey, I'll pray about that because real talk, you probably won't, right? Not because you don't want to, but we get distracted, right? So cultivate a habit of praying right then and there. How can I pray for you? Can we pray right now? And just take a moment to pray right now. So read, pray, pray with the men at your table. And that naturally leads to the third main habit. We have reading, we have praying, and the third one is gathering. So two main things that I wanna highlight here. First is the the Sunday gathering of the church, that from day one of the church in the New Testament and Acts, that we see that every day on the Lord, or every week, excuse me, on the Lord's day, they would gather together to hear the teaching of the apostles, to, to pray with one another, to praise God together. And this is a habit that Christians have continued for 2,000 years that we need to be prioritizing gathering with the local church on Sundays to sit under the preaching of God's word, to praise God with our brothers and sisters, and to to get to know our brothers and sisters that, that call Faith Bridge home alongside of us. And the second primary way I wanna encourage you to be practicing this gathering habit is by gathering with men, Men who know you and love you, with whom you can be fully known and fully loved, fully transparent about what's going on in your lives. Men you can encourage, men who can encourage you, men you can be praying together and studying scripture together. So again, I I, I hope you're finding that through this Tuesday night men's Bible study, but what are you gonna do at the conclusion of this study? Some of you... um, are gonna continue on and you're gonna move into a home-based grow group. 
Maybe for others of you, that's something that you need to consider of, of continuing to meet with the men around your table um, at a host home. If you're not sure what you're gonna study, a, a great place to start would just be to continue through the pastoral epistles. Go on into 2 Timothy and into Titus and use the Bible study skills that you've been developing over these last several weeks and just continue that journey together. Or maybe you need to join one of our many other uh, men's grow groups that we have where men can gather together, get to know one another, study scripture together, pray for one another, be real together. Fight to discipline yourself for godliness. Read, pray, gather. Pursue godly discipline, not bodily discipline. So do you spend more time in the weight room than you do in the word? Do you spend more time in professional development than you do in prayer? Do you spend more time playing video games or playing golf with your buddies than gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ for worship? Now, let me be clear, none of those things are bad things, but the point is that the best thing is to discipline yourself for godliness. Let's look at Paul's final exhortations to Timothy in this chapter as we read verses uh, 11 through 16 of chapter four. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so Paul's final exhortation in this chapter is to live as a godly example, to fight, to live an exemplary life. And so I wonder, who is someone in your life who has served as a godly example? And what impact has it, their example had on your life? It's something else I want you to reflect on and ponder on and, and share with the, the men around your table. For me, I could list several men who have been very influential in my life. I'll, I'll name just one. Uh, the professor during my time at DTS, who has probably had the, the most profound effect on me is a, is a professor by the name of Dr. Klingler. He has shaped my understanding of the Bible and theology probably single-handedly more than any other uh, pastor, preacher, professor. Um, and that is evident by the number of, of Klinglerisms that you have heard me use over our time together. But his influence has gone beyond that, that beyond just being a, an excellent teacher of scripture, he lives an exemplary life. Now, you, you have to understand that uh, Dr. Klingler is, is a man's man. He's a former NFL quarterback. 
He's a giant of a man who could literally crush me with his pinky if he wanted me to. And the man uh, trains horses out on a ranch. Like he's a man's man. But perhaps the quality of his that sticks out more than any other is his humility. And again, I could give several examples, but perhaps the most humorous one is uh, he tells all of his students during every class that he teaches um, that if you want to email me and you want to make sure that I see your email, this is what I need you to do. I need you to start every subject line of your emails with, with two words in all capital letters. Hey, stupid. Now, why does he do that? Now, on the one hand, it's just a humorous way of identifying, hey, this, this email is, is from a student, but it goes beyond that. It is a regular reminder. Klingler, you ain't all that. By the grace of God, you are what you are. And so Dr. Klingler has been a great godly example in my life that I'm thankful for. And as Paul exhorts Timothy to live as a godly example, one of the specific ways that Timothy is to live as a godly example is to use his God-given gifts to serve the church. Now, for Timothy, that was preaching and teaching. But what about you? What gifts has God given you that you can use to serve the body of Christ? On your table in the, the, the center, you'll find a next step card. I would encourage you to, to pick up one of those and you'll see several different served needs in our church. So as you think about the gifts and interests that God has given you, maybe you're a man who's passionate about taking the faith once for all delivered to the saints and passing it on to the next generation. Maybe you're passionate about investing in the lives of young men in their most formative years. And if that's you, maybe you need to serve in kids' ministry on a Sunday morning or lead a, a Wednesday night curious small group for junior high and high school students. Or you're, maybe you're a man who enjoys working with your hands and, and doesn't mind breaking up a, a, a good sweat and, and has a, a passion to meet the practical needs of the body of Christ. And if that's you, maybe you need to sign up for the parking team or the chair team or the lawn team. Can I get an amen, Rick? <laughs> That the parking team, uh, on the one hand, yes, they're making sure that, that men and women and families can get in and out of here safely, but they're also the first people that our first-time visitors encounter. And you know this, first impressions matter. So not only can you meet a practical need, but you can, can meet people from the moment they drive onto our campus and help them feel welcome. Or maybe you need to serve on the chair team. That was my first serve team here at Faithbridge. Because um, while sitting in a chair may not be a necessity, it certainly makes worship more comfortable and makes people more likely to be able to pay attention uh, to the, the sermon as it's preached and more likely to return. Or speaking of first impressions, the first thing that they encounter is, is our, our campus itself. And so you can be a part of making sure our campus is welcome and clean and, and um, welcoming to, to people as they come. Or finally, maybe you're, you're like my son. You're just a, a people person. I, I remember uh, when my son, in a moment of self-awareness a, a few years ago, just told me in the car, Dad, uh, 
I just really love people. I know you do, son. So maybe uh, you need to sign up to be a building host, someone who's here on a a Sunday morning, here to help new families and new visitors feel welcome and help show them their their way around Faith Bridge. Or maybe, uh, as uh, my friend Stephanie, who leads our Connections Ministry, uh, told me uh, recently, maybe you have the gift of gab and you need to be one of our connection partners, people who call, people who visit us for the first time on a Sunday later on that week just to introduce them to another person at Faith Bridge and answer any questions they have about our church. If you are not currently using your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your time to serve the body of Christ, let me encourage you to find an opportunity on that Next Step card. Write your information and someone from the appropriate ministry will get in contact with you. And by checking a box on that card, you're not signing in blood for anything. You're just saying, hey, that sounds kind of interesting. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Because you are a leader. But are you a good leader? Are you a godly leader? And the most important thing you can do as you lead your family, as you lead in your workplace, as you lead in your community, as you lead in the church, is to fight to live an exemplary life. Fight to to rightly receive God's gifts. Fight to discipline yourself for godliness and to fight to live as a godly example. So avoid the extremes of ungodly abstinence on the one hand and ungodly extravagance on the other hand, but receive God's good gifts with gratitude and enjoy his gifts within his good and gracious and loving boundaries. And read and pray and gather in response to and in pursuit of God's grace. And use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given you to serve his church. Don't be a Lieutenant Dyke who sits on the sidelines during the fight. Be a Lieutenant Spears, a man who charges in and inspires other by his exemplary life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example that that you have set us, that you are a God of graciousness and love and patience and mercy. And as if that wasn't enough, Lord, you sent your son who is our example, yes, but he's far more than that. He's our savior, that he came to save us from our sin, not only to forgive us, Lord, but to set us free and to transform us, that we can be men who live an exemplary life, men who enjoy the gracious gifts that you've given us, gifts of food and of marriage and of sexual intimacy, to be received with gratitude and enjoyed within your loving and perfect boundaries. Lord, help us read and pray and gather together with other men in response to and in pursuit of this grace. And that as we do those things, as we read the scriptures, as we talk to you in prayer, and as we gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that we would understand more of who you are, that we would be more amazed by you and your gospel. And that as we do, Lord, we would be transformed from the inside out. And help us to identify and use our gifts, talents, abilities, times, and resources to serve the body of Christ, Lord, to build up the body of Christ until we attain to the measure of the fullness of God. 
Help us, Lord, as we, we turn to our tables, as we, we process the things that you are stirring in our minds and our souls, Lord, for our good and for your glory. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.